You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Good morning to you. It's great to be together. If we've not met, my name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I just want to say it's wonderful to have you here with us. Wonderful to have you online as well. Um, Probably have folks watching online that transplanted here this year from California. Many of us are from California. And uh, it's cold. They didn't tell you that, but it is. And so we welcome you online. Uh, And many of you made it, I'm sure. But um, great to be together. We're working through the book of Acts, and today we're going to cover chapter 11. These last couple sermons, we've covered a lot of ground. Caleb did all of chapter 10, which was a heroic feat. Uh, Today, I'm going to do all of chapter 11, which is not nearly as long. And and, uh, if you were here last week or if you watched online, you'll know that uh, what I'm about to read sounds exactly like what you heard last week, because it is. It's Peter retelling what happened in uh, chapter 10. So we're going to read verses 1 to 18 of Acts 11, which is a complete review of what happened last week, and uh, talk a little bit about that, and then we're going to jump on to the rest of the chapter, uh, which shifts emphasis. And if you're new here, uh, this is commonly what we do. There are some exceptions, but commonly we just work through uh, sort of sections of Scripture, books of the Bible, and uh, so we're going through this wonderful book of Acts, which is a description of the life of the early church after Jesus was resurrected and ascended. Uh, this movement of believers in Jesus started, uh, the church, and this is just kind of recounting that history for us. So let's read uh, God's holy word, verses 1 through 18, Acts chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent, me, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I to, that I could stand in God's way? 
when they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. It's a wonderful account of the gospel first coming to Gentiles, uh, that is non-Jewish people, and uh, Peter and he re- relays how he was called to uh, interact with them and share the good news of Jesus with them. Now, this is what chapter 10 was about, I mentioned, and this is really what the rest of the book of Acts is about. It is about uh, this huge shift in the history of redemption where God's work on planet earth moved from working in his people Israel to working through them to reach the nations through the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, this is the transition, we're reading the transition where that took place. So there are people that heard about this, the news spread very quickly that Peter, the leader, uh, a key leader anyway, uh, of the church, has been with Gentiles, that he has been eating with them, and chapter 10 says he even lodged with them. Uh, This was unthinkable. And so there are people who are upset about it, verse 2. So when Peter went to Jerusalem, uh, the circumcision party criticized him. Why did they criticize him? You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you're like, why are we talking about that? Sounds like a personal matter. But it was a distinction between Jew and Gentile. The the mark of circumcision uh, and dietary laws separated the Jews from everyone else, the Gentiles. And so when he he describes people like this, he's describing people who don't obey the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. That's what is at stake. But he's saying, listen, things have changed. God has made clear that things have changed. And, And I know that because I had a vision with all these animals and this sheet comes down and there's all kinds of animals you're not supposed to eat under the Old covenant law, and a voice from heaven, God told me to rise and kill and eat. Uh, This is a glorious moment, and it's why you, as a believer in God, could have bacon this morning. What a gift. This is is a glorious section of Scripture. Uh, Sometimes people ask my life verse. I've never had a life verse, but I always pick something obscure, and this is one I've told people, rise, kill, and eat. That's my life verse, uh, because I like bacon. And and this means that we can eat that. Not that floppy turkey kind. That is a joke. This is the real thing. They can eat real bacon. But it's not just that they can eat all things because God's called them clean. That's not the biggest thing. The biggest thing here is that now everyone has access to God through faith in Jesus. They don't need to convert to be a Jew. They don't need to obey the dietary law. They don't need to be circumcised. Rather, they can just believe in Jesus and be converted, and that's what happened. And so he's explaining this to them. He, he tells them, this is God's doing. I mean, it's just like a Pentecost when the Holy Spirit visited us. He visited them. And this is Peter's radical conclusion from his experience. He's saying they were empowered as we were. They had the same spiritual gifts that we did. They believed just like we did. Um, how could I refuse to baptize these people and make them, uh, you know, acknowledge them as Christians? He, he is saying, this was not my initiative. I mean, this is the work of God. I'm sitting over here in Joppa. I'm getting visions that are totally reorienting my understanding of the world. Uh, in Caesarea, this 
Gentile guy Cornelius is getting visions uh, to go send for me. We connect together. And then he doesn't even finish explaining the gospel. Obviously, he explains enough for them to know about Jesus. But in the middle of explaining it, the Holy Spirit falls on them. And they have this miraculous experience of uh, speaking in tongues. They're, they're converted in this glorious way. And, and, and Peter's comment is, who was I? Um, verse 17, who was I that could stand in God's way? In other words, Peter's saying, if you got a problem with me hanging out with Gentiles, here's what all happened. Blame God, not me. God is the one that opened this door and did all of this. And so what happens, verse 18, is when they heard these things, they fell silent. They didn't push back anymore for the moment. They're, they are going to push back. And a lot of the New Testament's going to be written about the pushback of people who continue to insist you must become a Jew before you can become a Christian. Um, and as we're going to see, that's a big theme in the New Testament. Something else happens in chapter 11 that changes the course of the rest of the book. So the big thing from chapter 10 is that now we have the inclusion of the Jews and we have the, I'm sorry, the Gentiles, and we have an explanation of that in chapter 11. But the other big thing happens, happens in the next 11 verses. And the center for mission moves from Jerusalem, where uh, the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost and the church was sort of birthed, we could say it that way. It's now moving to a city called Antioch. And so the rest of the book is not only about reaching Gentiles, largely Jerusalem appears uh, in, later in the book of Acts, but it's not only about reaching Gentiles, but it's about reaching them from a new base, a church planting base in the city of Antioch. So let's read about that, verses 19 through 30. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it by the elders, by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This section really talks about this point. I've kind of got three points from the passage we just read, three narrative points, but the first one's the big idea. And that's that mission depends on the hand of the Lord. This is what we see in what we just read. It's the big idea that gospel mission depends on the hand of the Lord. It is God's 
mission, lest we ever forget that. It is God's mission. He is the primary actor. And he is pleased to work in us and through us. But make no mistake, God is the one who reaches people. God is the one that changes hearts. God is the one that births churches. God is the one that moves the gospel ministry from Jerusalem to Antioch. And here's how it happens. It tells us that because there was persecution uh, in the days of Stephen, people scattered. So in chapter 7 of Acts, uh, Stephen is the first recorded martyr. He's executed, and persecution comes, and everybody scatters. And it says here that some of them went to Cyprus, and uh, I'm sorry, that some of them went to Phoenicia, yeah, Cyprus, and Antioch. And it says that they were, verse 19, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So they were following the pattern. We're going to go to Jews. We're going to tell them Jesus is the Messiah. We're going to call them to believe. If they believe, they repent and believe, they'll be baptized, they'll be with us. And so that's what they're doing. But there's some people that come from Cyprus, verse 20, and Cyrene. Cyprus is obviously an island. Cyrene is uh, northern Africa. So there's some people that come who are not from, uh, you know, Jerusalem. They're from other places, and they began to share with the Hellenists. They, verse 20, spoke to the Hellenists. Now, there's some debate about how that word is used here and who is in mind. I'm not going to dip into all that, but say it is certainly safe to think what they mean is they were speaking to non-Jewish Greeks, uh, people of the Greco-Roman world. They were speaking to them about Jesus. And the amazing report, verse 21, is the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So God, these people are just going and sharing their testimony about what Jesus has done, talking about Christ, his death and resurrection. And these people who are not Jewish are believing now. So we see it first happen in chapter 10, but now we see it happening as these people just scatter and share the gospel. And what we draw from that is Luke wants us to know, the author, that this was the hand of the Lord. Great number of people believe because the hand of the Lord was with them. Now, it's strategic that the hand of the Lord is acting in this way in the city of Antioch because Antioch is probably the third most prominent city uh, in, the Greco, in the Roman Empire at that point. Uh, it's a significant city. It's an international city. And this is really important for us to understand, I think, with a, our theme this year of learning to love cross-culture. It's an international city. It's a cosmopolitan city. As a matter of fact, there are people living in Antioch from places like Persia, the Middle East, India, China, there are people from China who live in Antioch at this time. It was so diverse. And so when the gospel lands there, unlike Jerusalem, Jerusalem had at Pentecost people from all over the world who were Jewish, but we have people from all over the world here who aren't Jewish necessarily. Some are, but many are not. And the gospel, there's this gospel bomb that goes off in the middle of this community, and many are getting converted. Because the hand of the Lord is with them. And so the gospel is planted in this diverse community. One of the witnesses is from Africa, witnessing to people from all over the world. And most people don't understand this. Most people look at Western civilization and make this assumption, this faulty assumption, that Christianity is somehow associated with Western civilization uniquely and associated particularly with Caucasian people from Western civilization uniquely. When you read the book of Acts, you think there is nothing further from the truth. The church is birthed in a very international environment with people from all over the known world hearing the gospel. And uh, 
so the, the idea that just a look at Western civilization, like Christianity began there in the modern world. No, the Christianity began in the book of Acts in Jerusalem and has spread from there to other parts of the world. Now to this cosmopolitan city of about a half million people called Antioch. Now, while we know some things about Antioch, I gave you four little factoids, five factoids about it. We know some things about Antioch. We know nothing about these people who evangelized. And that is fantastic. That is so wonderful. That these people who show up, we know some of them are from Cyrene, some of them are from Cyprus. They come, they just start speaking to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. You'll notice he's not called Messiah there. He is Messiah. But that would be uh, that wouldn't be a category that uh, Greeks would be thinking of. Jews would be thinking about Messiah. But they would be thinking about a Lord. You had to confess Caesar is Lord. And so they're announcing a new Lord. Uh, it is the Lord Jesus Christ, and people are responding. But what is so great is that these people are nameless and faithless, faceless. The people who share the gospel, the people that are on the, the ground in this church plant, we don't know who they are. Most of the book of Acts has recorded the ministry of prominent leaders. There's been a lot about Peter. There'll be more about him. Um, we read about Philip going to the Samaritans. We read about Saul's conversion, who becomes Paul. We've read about Barnabas. We read about him again here in this passage. But the founding of the most strategic church plant for reaching the nations is launched by nameless witnesses. Launched by nameless witnesses. This, this is the church, Antioch, that will send out Paul on all the missionary journeys. Significant church. It's Paul's home sending church. If he's a missionary, this is his sending body. It will be Antioch. And we don't know anything about the people that started it. Commentator Ajit Fernando, who's a Sri Lankan, says that this demonstrates, quote, the value of non-prominent Christians. Can we just celebrate the value of non-prominent Christians because we live in a culture that celebrates celebrity pastors, Christian influencers, uh, Christian media people. We celebrate prominent Christians and ignore what we would call non-prominent Christians. But here, non-prominent Christians are emphasized. And look at how they relate. Verse 20, these people, we don't know who they are, preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. As there is a de-emphasis on personality, there is an emphasis on the hand of the Lord. Note that. We don't know who these are, but the hand, now the hand of the Lord's with Peter. The hand of the Lord is with prominent leaders. The hand of the Lord's with uh, you know, all kinds of people for sure. But what we need to realize is that most of the history of the church, almost all of the history of the church happened among people you know nothing about. You don't know their name. You don't know their background. You don't know the lineage. You can get a church history book and you can read about some of the people God used in prominent ways at various times. But most of the people who've been converted were converted because their parents shared for them, with them. Their neighbors shared with them. Somebody modeled Christ for them, and they were intrigued and asked about it, and they came to Jesus. The, the history of the church is the history of non-prominent people, not prominent people. These folks just show up. They open their mouths. They tell the good news, 
and the hand of God is with them. The God, God leads them to open people. God makes closed people open people. God uses their testimony. And when Barnabas comes down in verse 23, it says when he came, he saw the grace of God. I just love that. It doesn't say he saw a compelling missionary strategy. It doesn't say he saw people who were very persuasive orators. He doesn't say he saw people with great knowledge and great wisdom that confounded all of the people of Antioch. No, he saw the grace of God. He showed up and said, the only explanation for this is that God is on the scene and is acting. The hand of God is with you, and I see his grace all over this gathering, is what Barnabas says. I love it. The hand of God is with them. They communicate. People are converted. Let me ask you, if you knew that the hand of God was with you, if you knew that the hand of God was with you to convert people that you talked to, how would that change your view and your approach to evangelism? If you knew God was at work through you, whom would you share Christ with this week? What barriers, these people are crossing barriers, what barriers would you cross to share the good news if you were certain that God would open up the other person's heart? Now, you can't be. You can't be certain. But God's hand is with you and with me just as he is with these nameless, faithless people who are not superstars. They're regular folk, and God is using them. Please know that when you communicate the gospel, the Spirit is always at work. We're not guaranteed the same results that they had here, but we don't know what the results will be unless we open our mouths. We don't know. Sometimes you don't know that the gracious hand of God is with you until you take a step of faith and God does something and say, that only could be the Lord. That only could be the Lord. But if I don't open my mouth, if I don't pray, if I don't love or serve or invite or reach out or welcome or care or take an interest in someone or be compassionate toward, if I don't do any of that stuff, then I don't know what God is doing because God often acts, even in dramatic ways, once we take a step of faith. So the point is the mission is God's mission. The mission is the result of God's hand among his people. The second thing that happens in this passage is that the mission may be God's mission, but it is encouraged by this guy named Barnabas, who does a great job here of, I think, modeling something for us. Um, verse 22 says, when he came, uh, the, the report, verse 22 says, the report came to Jerusalem. They heard about what's happening in Antioch, significant city, um, people who probably weren't deputized, deputized by the apostles or out sharing the gospel. So, like, we better send somebody from our headquarters, and this is reasonable to make sure they have a sound gospel, they really are telling the truth, and let's send someone to go check it out. And so they send this guy named Barnabas, whom we've already met. We met him in chapter 4, where we find out that that's not really his name. It's his nickname. His name is Joseph, but his nickname is Barnabas, which literally means son of encouragement. So this guy just went by a nickname, son of encouragement, Mr. Encouragement, uh, the encourager is what they called him. So this is the perfect guy to send into what could be a controversial situation. They send him. It says that he sees the, the hand of God, the grace of God, verse 23 rather, and he was glad. Encouraged 
because he saw the grace of God and he was glad. Now, listen, he could have responded differently. Let's don't romanticize the New Testament because the New Testament never romanticizes itself. It's very real, very gritty, very earthy. It tells things like they are. So here's what's happening. A bunch of people who are from Gentile backgrounds with all kinds of religious thoughts, all kinds of cultural ideas, are now joining together to believe in Jesus. And it is certainly the case that someone in that mixture is saying and doing immature things. That's what happens with new Christians, especially with all kinds of backgrounds, is what do you expect? You're not converted and instantly, um, you know, everything about you, you know everything, you bring no baggage with you into the kingdom of God. Everybody comes into the kingdom of God with lots of bags. Now, before the Lord, you're declared righteous. So you're without bags in terms of how the Lord declares you justified. But in terms of your sanctification, your growth and holiness, you're coming, someone's coming with truckloads. Someone's got an 18-wheeler of luggage that we're just bringing into the kingdom of God. And these people are the same. They, many of them don't know much about Jesus. So I guarantee you, admittedly, I'm imagining a bit with the text here. But if you just read the rest of the New Testament, you'll see what I'm saying bears up throughout the New Testament with new believers. But certainly Barnabas would have had something to criticize. Certainly he would have. But, but gr- encouragement, true encouragement, looks for the grace of God and then encourages people in the grace of God. A true encourager looks to see where God is at work in your life and points that out to you. Lifts your eyes off yourself and helps you see this is what God's doing. So when he comes into something that was glorious, but every revival has a mess to it, something that was a glorious mess, that might be a good description of a revival, a glorious mess. Um, And so he is discerning and looking for the grace of God. And, And that's a beautiful thing. Now, not only that, but he exhorts them to remain faithful. Verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So recognizing the grace of God doesn't mean that we don't also encourage people to obey or to persevere. So he's saying God's doing something here. You people generally have gen, genuinely have been converted. This is wonderful, but keep pressing on. It's not one or the other. It's not grace is here and there's no call to respond to God and it's not just coming in and dropping everybody needs to grow here. It's both. It's really both. Obedience does matter. We're not saved by our obedience. We're saved by the obedience of Jesus. But once we become Christians, uh, it is important for us to continue on. That's what he says. He's this encouragement, may you, he exhorts them. That's a charge to remain faithful to the Lord, to stay the course, to persevere. There's, there's this as well. Well, we get a little explanation, I think, of why Barnabas is such an encourager. How did he get this name? I noted that he identifies the grace of God. But verse 24 says, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. See, this, this is what an encourager, this is a great description of what an encourager is like. He's good. A good person in the biblical sense knows a good God and can identify the good work of a good God among others. He's full of the Spirit, so he's discerning, he's aware, and he wants to comfort and encourage. One of the names of the Holy Spirit is Comforter. He wants to encourage and comfort, strengthen, because that's what the Holy Spirit does, and he's full of the Holy Spirit. 
And he's moved by faith. He's full of faith. To be an encourager, you can't just look at how it is right now, how a person is doing right now. You have to look with the eyes of faith and see what God is doing and could continue to do in that person and speak that to them. It's the goodness of God. It's the power of the Spirit. It's the eyes of faith. And this, this enables him to be an encourager, the, the son of encouragement. The very son of encouragement is what his nickname is. This, is. this is challenging to encourage like this. I'll tell you what's easy. Criticizing. That's easy. That comes innate. Like it would take no skill or maturity at all to walk in and go, hey, it's cold in here today. I didn't really like that second song. Why are we doing that one again? Man, the announcements are kind of long today, and Craig's kind of boring. Uh, is it, why don't you teach something that's more relevant to my life? That takes no skill. I could go on and on criticizing me and you and this whole service. Everybody could. It takes zero discernment to criticize. But to walk in and go, where did you see the hand of the Lord at work? That takes a good heart, the power of the Holy Spirit, and eyes of faith to see where's God at work and let me encourage and speak that. Criticism, easy. Encouragement, much more challenging. Much more challenging. And, and, and by the way, most people don't know where God is at work in their life, and that's why we need encouragers. Most of us are very aware of how we fall short. We're very aware of where we failed this week. You show up here this week, most of us are very aware of where we failed this past week, where we failed last night, the argument we had with the family on the way to church today. No, we didn't have a video camera in your car. We're just human. Okay, we get it. But someone here had a blowout on the way. I'm mean, like an argument, but not a tire. <laughs> or a baby. But somebody had, somebody, <laughs> somebody, <clears throat> oh, we can't edit it. It's streaming live. So there you go. But Somebody had an argumentative blowout on the way to church today, and we come in, and that's all we think about. We think about our failure. We think about what we should be and what we aren't. We think about what we intended to do and we didn't. We just think about our failures. And it takes oftentimes someone who loves us on the outside that can observe God at work in our life to point that out to us. Have you ever had someone like that in your life? I mean, a more important question was, have you ever been that for someone else? Listen, when you gather in your community group this week, please be aware that most of the people in the circle showed up on Sunday night or Wednesday night or whenever you meet. They came to that circle more aware of what they didn't get done at work, how they're not the mother they wish they were, how they're not the success that they wish they were in their job, how they haven't really been reading their Bible and praying like they know they should how they don't even remember what we talked about on Sunday morning, but we're just thankful to have made it here tonight. That's most of us. And so realize that people who show up are very well, well aware of their failures, not very well aware of how God is working in them, how their marriage is different than it was a year ago because you've been sitting in the circle and you've heard them share and you know that. How their attitude to that challenge in their life, their boss, how they have grown and that God has changed their heart 
how God has burst on the scene because they even humbled themselves to share anything to begin with. That's the work of God. That's the hand of God. If God wasn't at work, they'd be sitting home watching Netflix, not wanting to have anything to do with people in the local church and sharing their life with them. But the fact they're there and they're leaning in and they're listening and they're responding and they want to know Jesus more. They want to reflect him more. That's the grace of God all over the place. I may not have even been to your community group, but I assure you, I know for a fact, God is on the move by the fact you even have a circle of saved people in your living room. How did that happen? That's only the grace of God. So when we interact with each other, when we interact with our spouses and our children, let's just keep this in mind, that the encourager is the person who came and saw the grace of God and was glad, verse 23. Barnabas does more, and I'm going to be very brief here. He goes and gets Saul, who becomes Paul. And this is encouragement. This guy goes and gets someone. Hey, I'm, I'm the guy sent from headquarters, Barnabas would say, but I'm going to go get someone who's a better theologian, uh, more knowledgeable, who's going to write a big chunk, chunk of the New Testament, who is called to reach the Gentiles. I'm going to go get him and bring him in. And Barnabas knows. Paul is very gifted. Uh, I'm going to bring a guy in who I know will eclipse my leadership, who will do more than I will do and will do better than I can because I love these people. Paul will be the prominent leader, missionary, pastor, apostle, and author of the New Testament. But it is a selfless encourager that goes and finds him and brings him to the church and introduces him to the church that will one day send him out as a missionary. That's encouragement. It's, I care for these people so much. I, it, it's not about my recognition. It's about this church, these people growing and maturing. So let's get the best person in here we can. That's the spirit of encouragement, seeing the grace of God. Well, the last idea here is simply that the mission is not only uh, encouraged by Barnabas, but it overflows in partnership. The la- overflows in partnership. The last three verses says a prophet comes. His name is Agabus. He says famine is coming. Uh, Luke tells us that actually happened during the days of uh, the emperor Claudius. And um, he lets them know that there's going to be a need in Jerusalem. And so they choose to pool their resources. And this mixed Jewish and Gentile congregation, very international, uh, who's new and not very well developed, they send a bunch of money to the established church uh, that came out of Jerusalem the church there to support them. And so you see this partnership that Jew and Gentile are not just only in the church of Antioch, but they are partnering with the primarily Jewish Christian church that is in uh, Jerusalem as well. So the gift represents partnership. It it demonstrates shared resources in the time of need, and it is a cross-cultural partnership from the beginning. The church is birthed not only within places like, at least in places like Antioch, multi-ethnic congregations, but they are connecting with other congregations for which it is a cross-cultural endeavor to serve and relate to them as well. That's the history and the background of the church. What can we learn from this? Man, I think I've hopefully shared, I think I've shared what I want to share about what we can learn, but just a couple ideas on the way out is, one is that we are all needed. 
this passage makes it clear. Yeah, Barnabas comes down to, you know, helpfully est- establish a connection with Jerusalem and to helpfully, you know, discern is, is this the real gospel and are these real Christians. But the passage really isn't about him. He shows up and says, yeah, God's at work here. Keep on keeping on. <laughs> and it just encourages people, let me get somebody better to come help. Uh, it's not about him. It's about the hand of God at work, and because of that, we're all needed. In his commentary on the book of Acts, David Garland writes the following. He says, the Christian message is spread through anonymous individual Christians traveling across the empire and sharing the gospel in informal ways. The church experienced amazing growth without the benefit of impressive buildings or high-powered programs and while experiencing harsh persecution. We can learn from their example. The church grows when every believer becomes a gospel teller. Not a tale terror or a tale bearer, but a gospel teller. He's saying, look, you're, you're, the New Testament church is made up of people that in normal, everyday life, in, in the places they lived, in the places they worked, and in a big way with their family and their extended family, just communicated the gospel. They were just gospel ter- tellers. They just uh, told the good news of Jesus. Over the centuries, the lost have been reached and the church has been built almost entirely, as I mentioned, by people we don't know anything about. And Acts 11 should be a chapter that gives us faith and encouragement to step out in faith and do our part, knowing that it's not some significant leader that's going to do it all. It's God who is going to do it all. Don't believe the lie that you lack the knowledge. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know more than these original witnesses knew. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a New Testament like you and I do. You've got the New Testament uh, in your lap this morning or on your phone. Don't believe the lie that you don't have enough experience. These people couldn't have been saved that long. Don't believe the lie that you don't have the gifting. Their gifting is never pointed out. It just said they went and told the good news. Don't believe those lies. Rather Rather look around and say, where is God at work How do we know where God's at work? Well, what relationships has he given you? Where has he placed you? Like where you live, where you work, where you play. That's where you find God at work. And maybe in some relationships with people in other places and family and that as well. But you just look around, ask God to open your eyes and step out in faith with an invitation, with a question, with an interest, with an offer to pray with an opportunity to share your faith. We're all needed, and finally, the mission belongs to God. That truth is throughout this passage. I've quoted multiple times, the hand of the Lord was with them. He also says in verse 24, a great many people were added to the Lord. Did you notice the passive nature of that verb? They were added. They didn't include themselves in the church. The Lord added them. The Lord saved them. Verse 18, we read that God has granted repentance that leads to life even to the Gentiles. Grant is a gift. God has given the gift of repentance to the Gentiles. This whole passage is about God's initiative and God doing his work. Clearly, he uses people, but it is the work of God. 
doesn't mean that we will always see his hand. I believe there's times where his hand is moving and we don't perhaps even <coughs> know or discern that. Because sometimes we're planting seeds and it'll be many years later before the seeds take root and before harvest occurs. I want to share with you a very brief story I read this week that encouraged me in that way. It's about a guy named Dr. William Leslie. He was a, um, he was a missionary who in 1929 uh, left his mission work in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And so he had been there for 17 years, and he left very discouraged. He didn't feel like he had a great relationship with the people in the tribal area that he was working in Congo. <clears throat> he considered his 17-year ministry a failure. Uh, he didn't uh, know of any fruit. He didn't feel like he bore any fruit. 17 years of the guy's life and didn't feel like he bore any fruit. Well, he died about nine years later, never knowing if anything had happened where he invested his life. Eighty years after his death, 2010, a minister named Eric Ramsey returned to the area, and this is what he said he found in the area that Leslie had pioneered bringing the gospel 80 years earlier. It said that he found a network of reproducing churches hidden like glittering diamonds in the dense jungle. That's what he found. He discovered that what had happened was Leslie began to teach the, tr the children uh, how to read and how to write and shared the gospel with them. And evidently what happened, some of them read and write and believed. And churches were born and planted and have been multiplying 80 years after his investment and he never saw any fruit. He just sought to be faithful and it is very clearly the case that the hand of the Lord is with him. Though he may not have discerned that and he may have left discouraged, God took uh, the mission to the people, his mission to reach them and save them. And his hand was clearly at work. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.